I got a new job, which is nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. What do you uh what do you do now? Do you still is it still Funko Pops? No, no. That, I only did that job for a week, then I quit. I was disgusted by how um counter-revolutionary I was being. It's like supplying the opium to the masses through Funko Pops. So now I'm in advertising. Which is, oh, that's that's much yeah. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I feel almost as good as when I worked in a hedge fund. But um, yeah, I like I'm doing pretty good. But like on Wednesday, I was laughing all day because I got this uh, notion in my head. You know, when you think of something, you just can't remove it from your head. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. The the notion was a stand up comic going. Fellas, you have a nut so hard that you get Munchausen syndrome by proxy. <laughs> and that stuck in my head all fucking Wednesday. That's, that's fucking hysterical. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was my Wednesday. And I was just thinking, like, you know, your fellas, you have, a, like, you have a nut, then, like, your girl gets up to get some water, and you're like, Wow, you're, you're so sure thirsty lately. Uh, we should take you to the ER. Because I want to see some doctors and get some attention from them. <laughs> so that's where I've been. Um, Sounds like you've been having a normal one. Yep. Some some health, some real healthy mental health. Oh yeah, I love recu- like recurring thoughts. It th- those re- re- recurring thoughts are okay. The ones where it's like, what if my family is dead right now? And <laughs> those and they go on for like weeks. Um, and they probably will. I, I probably like curse myself for like a night <laughs> of never sleeping now, just as I mentioned that. Because that's what um, uh, invasive thoughts do, do, folks. Yeah. I, uh, my, OCD, my favorite is, uh, for your brain. It's really good. My, my favorite invasive thought is I could crash my car right now. I could do it. Oh, like the, um, Annie Hall bit with Christopher Walken? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a very common one, actually. Not to yeah. diminish your one, but, uh, and I, I bet like a certain percentage of car crashes are caused by that very thought. It's probably not like a big percentage, but it's, it's, a, it's a percentage. Yeah, and they don't want to bring that up because what are you gonna what are you gonna say like Yeah, I know he's out of vogue right now, but I was thinking about that Woody Hill that 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 Woody Allen film, Annie Hill. You know, it's a great film. Shame what he did. Horrible, horrible man. Anyway, I crashed my car thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> if you want to crash your car then do it um to own Woody Woody Allen. That would be a good you could like get a, like a, a wave of people crashing their cars and people would blame Woody Allen for it. And finally he would see the justice he deserves. But, uh, well, in, in a technical sense, this wouldn't be justice because he would be framing him for a crime that he, uh, has no connection to, but also fuck him. Yeah. So 
Fuck that guy. Um, he's a love Annie Hall, though. Before, I, I know, like, all the allegations were already in the public eye and I could have found them out, but I, Annie Hall was, like, one of my favourite movies for a very long time. I, uh, I think, to be fair for people of our generation, we grew up with the allegation that he married his stepdaughter, which is true, but he had done a pretty thorough snow job to occlude the specific details of why that was so gross. Aside from the base element, obviously, which is gross. Um, so I think sometimes we get into, uh, like self blame cycles. I mean, it's not like, it's not like R. Kelly where when that shit dropped, it was basically irrefutable from day one. Mm. Um, Chris Brown or <clears throat> a ton of people. Yeah. Um, it's similar to the kind of, uh, the kind of pretty thorough snow job that um came up during the Jesse Smollett case, where at first it was like... I don't know what happened there. Like, I totally lost the thread. It, at first it was like, okay, this guy's got beaten up. Then he hasn't. Oh, wait, no, the police have said he has. But now he hasn't again. I, I have no idea what has happened to that guy or not happened. The brief, um, the brief thread and why it was... Um, compelling very briefly it's obviously <clears throat> anyone listening to this is probably going to know who jesse smollett is and the whole thing of um a uh, homophobic racist attack carried out on him then the police said there was some evidence that it didn't actually happen at all and they gave a pretty compelling alibi for it and it was like okay well that yeah but you're still cops um but she then it was information yeah but then it was information of like these people have known him. The people who attacked him have known him for years. He met them in, uh, uh, I think it was Nigeria. Um, he paid them a lump sum with the express purpose of you're going to attack me. Uh, I, I'm not going to reveal who you are. Um, and then I'm going to get a lot of public sympathy for this. And like there were corroborating things placing him there. And placing the money movement. Um, <clears throat> so it felt insane, but the snow job, I mean, that's what snow jobs are, is they're developed um, counterintelligence operations. So that way you believe something that isn't true or don't believe something that is true. And then obviously his, uh, his lawyers eventually were able to cut through that shit and... Yeah, it just it was like in retrospect, it's like, well, yeah, no fucking duh, the Chicago police would make something up. But it was insane how like how thorough and well vetted their totally fake story was. So it was fake. So he, yeah. he did get beaten, right? Okay, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> okay, that's. I, I had no idea whether he was, you know, because the only place I see it is like on right wing stuff where he's like single handedly disproved the existence of hate crime. And, um, yeah, so, okay, I, I, I understand the Jesse Smollett thing now. Now, can we, let's move on to understanding <laughs> all of fascism in 21st century politics. That's going to be easy. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple. Easy stuff. So we're talking about the new authoritarians, Convergence on the Right by David Renton. Uh, Renton is a, uh, a barrister or lawyer. I think there's some technical difference, you know, barrister and solicitor. I don't care to know what it is. 
he's a historian and anti-fascist activist. He's been writing um, stuff since 1999, perhaps earlier. Uh, this is out on Pluto Press, and it's come, being issued in time to uh, coincide with the European elections. Um, because there's going to be potentially a quite big swing to the right across Europe. Um, these, these are EU elections, so they're, they're not for the individual countries of Europe, they're for the people who represent the countries in the European Parliament, I think it's called. Uh, so they don't have a massive effect on people's lives, but we've had things in the past, like Britain has elected Nigel Farage, who comes up a lot in New Authoritarians, <coughs> who is the leader of UKIP, which was a not fascist, but definitely very far right party that was very opposed to immigration and the European Union. So the guy representing us in Europe was a guy opposed to Europe. And we've had, I think, similar things in France, where people from the Front National have been in European Parliament as well. And um, yeah, it seems like the, the European Parliament is going to get staffed by people who are opposed to it on general principle. Yeah, I mean, we see uh, we see that rising rightward tide already, and um, Spain is struggling with it. Um, France is basically fully in its throes. Same with Italy. Um, uh, a bunch of Scandinavian countries are dealing with a resurgent far right, like Norway and Sweden. Um, Germany and Austria are really bad yeah. in Austria, especially. Uh, Hungary is very bad. <clears throat> Poland is just a nut house where they've literally po declared like jesus the king of poland forever or something and, and, po and poland's always been too, too much too catholic like yeah, even yeah. when you learn to accept religious people there's uh they're too catholic they got to dial that shit down that's oh, yeah. been that way for a long time yeah and and po poland it's it's okay to talk about the holocaust you, you're allowed to do it germany has managed it you know and they're germany poland you can just deal with it okay but um, yeah, Poland is very weird. But um, Neil Fortarians mostly talks about uh, the US, obviously, Britain, again, obviously, and France and Italy. Uh, also, obviously, yeah, um, very obvious choices, but n no, the book's not the worst for it. And okay, so the, the central thesis of this book is that... Uh, Okay, so you kind of got to understand David Renton's uh, political spectrum for the right wing. He doesn't have a similar spectrum for the left, but he does for the right, which is that in the middle there are the conservatives, your George H.W. Bushes, people like that. Uh, then we move to the far right, so Donald Trump is on the far right, uh, Nigel Farage is on the far right, Probably Jacob Rees-Mogg is, probably Paul Ryan, uh, a, a lot of uh, current Republicans from kind of the Tea Party onwards would count as being on the far right. And then further along the spectrum, you have fascism. Obvious ones, Hitler, Mussolini. And he kind of... Um, so he kind of... Uh, doesn't exactly pin down where current stuff like the alt-right is there because it's a very variable thing there's obviously people who are literal neo-nazis and they go firmly in the fascism part but there's also people like 
I mean, even Richard Spencer is a difficult figure to put quite in there because he doesn't have, I mean, I'm talking from Dave Renton's perspective here. He doesn't have the defining feature of fascism, which is street fighting, uh, which is that you get a group like know, the, the SA or the Black Shirts and they go around the streets in trucks and they beat up people and break windows and stuff. And that's that's where like he he wouldn't he doesn't have any um, major issue with something like the Proud Boys being considered a fascist group because they very explicitly do that. Um, they not only hold the view I, that's where um, a big differentiation for him is he is concerned less with the views themselves, which tend to demark all of the right wing in various uh, ways, and more with the like explicit day to day actions. Yeah, he. <clears throat> He's a very good historian of like the far right in in Europe, mainly in Europe. He's very good on Europe and Italy and France. He and the kind of kind of goes back to the, our very first episode together, Twenty Days of Turin, the yeah. bomb, endless bombings and murders in the streets of Italy, carried out by these weird occulty fascist groups in the fifties. Uh, he goes in a lot on uh, Julius Evola, who is a really Kind of grimly fascinating figure for being like a a self declared super fascist and also a magician. So yeah, he he hits a lot of the the pleasure points for me. Not not yeah, good pleasure points, but you know you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean I, that's that's why that figure showed up so frequent. Like that guy, I can't remember his name. I never remember his name. Well, it's like he cursed it. Um, he shows up frequently in. Uh, leftist weird novels of the 70s and 80s because he strikes such a um super real image like it's it's too rarefied to literally be a real person yeah it's like but he was dr doom was real i mean the guy is yeah he's just straight up victor on doom without the metal yeah Um, yeah and he was like funding all these fascist groups he was like he's got a he's got a weird life, but he 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 even died in a bonkers way. It's like he he was like a supervillain, like his entire life he just was a supervillain. Yeah, how, how did he die? I didn't. I don't think I I know that off uh, the top of my head. I think I think it was like a oh I know that people attempted to kill him, and it was like Benny Hill style, barely evading getting killed like numerous times because uh, somehow the cops hated him despite being a fascist, who knows? Um, lots of different groups hated him. The mob hated him. Um, wow. Like, yeah. He shouldn't have lasted a minute in Italy in the, the like 50s and 60s. Yeah, but no, the, there were also a bunch of fascies. So he had like a meat shield and it was, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole... You have like some sort of Rasputin thing where you just couldn't die? Well, no, I think so far historically Rasputin is the only one who's been... You had to super murder him in order to get him to regular die. Yeah. Rusty he had a lot of health bars. Incredibly interested figure. But, oh, uh, God, yeah. Yeah, that guy's fascinated. The The only time I'd ever recommend listening to an episode of uh, Last Podcast on the Left, which is a true crime and paranormal podcast, is their Rasputin one, because they go into like really detail on him, and uh incredibly interesting guy. But... um yeah, so how did Julius Evola die? Uh, 
Let me look it up again. Uh, Julius Evola. I like how Wikipedia generously refers to him as a philosopher, <laughs> um, which is not mm-hmm. technically wrong. Um, yeah, something. Just... I mean, you don't want to give that word out to too many people too freely. That's how we get like Ben Shapiro being called the philosopher. So I kind yeah. of like dial it back to people who really have done the work. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't mention, I know he died in his, uh, in his seventies. I think I may have been thinking of, um, near death experiences on his end of like getting almost killed a lot. Yeah. So Evla, um, there should be, yeah, there should, someone should do a big book on him. I'm, I'm sure there are some out there, but, uh, so, like a really for an academic deep dive into him and his ideas and his life. That would be a, that would be a good thing. So people out there do that. But um yeah, so David Renton um his idea in this is of convergence between uh the conservative part of his political spectrum and the far right. So you have I in and Trump is a great example of this. You have ideas from the far right like border walls and um real hardline immigration stuff you had that thing he said the other day about asylum seekers being animals like you wouldn't have heard that from george w or hw bush or even reagan or nixon even i mean nixon in private but he wouldn't have like straight up said it to cameras like you have to go to back to like real like segregation era jim crow style conservatives before you start seeing like the racial stuff that is now normal so i think that's pretty undebatable really that the conservative um mainstream conservatives are getting more of their ideas from the far right i mean that's super normal yeah it's sort of um it's this is uh this is where we can see even the uh the rising tension in the uh so sometimes on the left we will write out uh right wing interdisciplinary tension as like well they're all fucking fascists anyway, which is true, but um it, it that's a thing that chafes me a bit about uh some contemporary like political organizers and activists because it means that they are explicitly not wanting to thoroughly study this thing that we are all resisting. And one of those things is that we do see these tension points between like George W. Bush and a conservative uh, war criminal. Like again, not, not trying to exonerate him of any of those things. Fucking horrible person. Um, the worst president of the 21st century so far. Um, but he has tensions with Donald Trump because of these inflection points, because he was George W. Bush was vocally anti-racist, even if practically he wasn't, because it wasn't an ideological component for him. It was a mechanical component. Um, yeah, he had he, to like ignore the humanity of Iraqis in order to get the oil underneath them. If yes. they happened to be white people living in, in, in Iraq, then he would have killed them anyway. And this is, uh, we see a similar thing with like Mitt Romney, another kind of very, very traditional conservative who, in order to absolve himself of, 
and also a very religious person. And likewise, when you see those vectors colliding, a lot of times in order to absolve themselves of the very clear uh, wrongdoings that they're doing, they have to drape it in language of like, well, I don't hate people of other races. I think racism is real and it's wrong. We even see these statements sometimes from Donald Trump. Um, he has to be pressed into giving them, so it doesn't feel quite the same as, say, George Bush immediately coming out after 9-11 and declaring anti-Muslim uh, bigotry as anti-American, even though mechanically nothing was really done about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, was, it was entirely a statement. There was no push behind it whatsoever, but... <clears throat> yeah, so, and so Renton's other big thing that people are going to probably have a little difficulty with is that fascism is declining. It's not as big a force as it has been, even in like the 60s, 70s. And the current, what we, people we call fascists right now either don't meet the criteria or they're just marginal figures, like, like Richard Spencer, because uh, he's a guy who doesn't have a lot of clout with really anyone he doesn't have followers he doesn't have politicians he can talk to it's not like in the jim crow south where the ku klux klan had their invisible empire of like sheriffs and politicians that they could just talk to to work behind the scenes like no one gives a shit about richard spencer anymore except as a symbol Uh, probably the left talks about him more than the right does at the moment and um yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of see where uh, David Renton's coming from on this. Like, it feels like post Charlottesville, we're in a a post alt right era. Like, the alt right thing happened for a couple of years, really. Like, from Gamergate in twenty fourteen to Charlottesville in what twenty seventeen? Yeah, it's uh, twenty seventeen. Yeah, so that's what like th- three years of a political movement. That's not even. It's not going to make the history books in hundred years' time, and um, and yet you've got kind of like those people are kind of like the avant-garde of the of the right, even like conservatives. Like, do you remember when it was kind of around the time of Gamergate, so twenty fourteen fifteen ish, when suddenly all the like anime avatars were saying snowflake like everyone was getting called a snowflake and cuck cuck yeah. and snowflake that was... i was about to say like cuck was the one that i remember yeah. but uh so i mean yeah and that kind of that snowflake thing came out of like 8chan and b and stormfront and places like that you know that's it's like genesis there and i just like browsing reddit as you do and as a remark and it someone posted a screenshot of uh britain's the sun newspaper so it's a center-right newspaper that's kind of it's like the fox news of britain and they've got an article saying flakensteins snowflake students claim frankenstein's monster was misunderstood and is in fact a victim i remember seeing that and i uh i laughed really hard and then threw my phone across the room yeah <laughs> as, well you should because that's the dumbest opinion it's possible to have 
It's like but, that's literally that's literally the tale of Frankenstein. That's that's yeah, it. It's like, literally in the book, like verbally in the book. Like they, Mary they just Shelley say it. disagrees with you on this point, son. <laughs> but what was int- once you get over the um, massively galaxy-brained take there, the fact that they're using terms like snowflake in early 2018, when like four years before it was like the most marginal weirdest people online who were the only people who'd be using that and um the british army has put out these recruitment posters saying if you're a snowflake we need your um i think like uh moral certitude in the army and that term in such a small space of time has gone from fascists to the far right to conservatives to basically the political center the total mainstream and um yeah if you want an example of convergence that's just the terminology and how it's been laundered from stormfront and 8chan over to the sun a multi-million copy selling paper in such a tiny time that's that's like pretty remarkable and this is this is where I think sometimes we get um, like an idea fixe appearing in certain left spaces, especially ones that are more focused on online presence than like day to day organizing. And so, uh, like the kinds of people who consider themselves like, yeah, no, I don't, you know, go out and talk to people because you know, like people are really um, uh, yeah. racist and like or they're racist and shitty so i don't you know i don't think that i can it's like well you can't be an effective political organizer if you're either only talking to people who are already on the left or not talking to anyone at all that's not political organizing that's just having views which you're allowed to do but that's not the same um is we sometimes get this uh this mental image and we promote it sometimes a bit recklessly on the left that the world is a massive um, fascist death machine and that everything is designed to murder and kill you. We also promote this like rabid and very like mentally unhealthy image that if you are in any way marginalized and you exit your front door, you will be killed because people are actively trying to kill you all the time. Um, And not in a hyperbolic sense, but it's the world is a death camp. Um, and that's one, not quite, it's not quite wrong, but it's also not quite true either. Um, if anything, the sort of mundane centralizing force of capitalism, which is, um, I agree a lot with the theoretical argument that capitalism seems to invoke fascism intermittently in order to retain its control over social structures. Mm. Um, like fascism really isn't designed to be a 1000 year Reich. It's designed to be a five to 10 year spurt of terror so that you don't shake the foundations of the structures of the world. It's like, uh, it's like the bad cop that comes in, not if it's all bad cop, that doesn't really work. Um, because also believe you don't believe you've seen a, uh, certain film called dirty Harry. I believe he worked or Cobra. Uh, crime was, true. was a disease. He was a cure. That's true. He was the cure. He did cure it. Um, But as a result, we get, uh, like what you were mentioning, um, and this is also why centrists deserve a tremendous amount of ire, is 
they are uh, centrism itself is a phantom political position. Um, it only exists by convergence. And by nature of that, that means that it has to take in these elements, typically from the far right, because ironically, the far right is only ideologically disturbing, but mechanically it's not. Meanwhile, the left is ideologically affirmative to what centrism is saying of like, don't be racist, don't be homophobic. But mechanically, the way it asks people to do that is oppositional to how uh, this phantom center exists. So it picks the language of the left and the mechanics of the right, which also is partly why that David Brooks comment is so fucking stupid. Oh, it's going to bring that up. Yeah. Well, that's got some interesting stuff I want to talk about later uh, concerning welfare and UBI and fascism. Yeah. Uh, And also uh, hashtag Yang Gang. (sighs) That was ironic and suddenly I'm, I'm a Beto boy. I wait, I wait, I wait, I wait. Um, so before we go into all of that, though, I wanted to just play some songs. Do, do you want to go first on this one? Because you, you brought a, a good old track by some by some good boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know the specific song that uh, the Gareth pulled from this record, but um, the first song we're going to play is off of the record Synthiosis by Wasted Space Orchestra. Um, the best way to describe them is just literally what they are. They are a supergroup comprising the full lineup of Aransi Pazuzu and Dark Buddha Rising. If you're listening to this, you undoubtedly know who Aransi Pazuzu are. I think we've played them. If not, you've heard them. Like they're, uh, I think we mentioned them if we played them. Their, their last record was way too fucking big. Their last couple of records have been like buzzed about, but their last record was literally way too big for you to know who we are and not have heard it. Um, it's called like Vara Tajilia or something. You can find it on Spotify. It's one with a circle on it. It means vibrator in uh, Norway by, uh, Norwegian, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, but tremendous, um, they, they started as a black metal group and they started getting called like a psychedelic black metal group. But that last record almost felt more like it was a like proggy psychedelic kraut rock record that was heavy rather than a black metal record that included kraut rock. Um, Dark Buddha Rising is a sort of psychedelic droney sludge doom band. Um and this actually isn't the first time that they've collaborated together. Uh, they put out a record a couple years ago where it was just two members of each band that they put out under the name uh, Atomic Helia. Really fucking great record. That one's way more just freaked out psych rock. Um, this Waste of Space Orchestra record just sounds like a really dark prog rock record. Like... Imagine the first time you found, like, Vandergraaf Generator or, um, like, mid-period Pink. Like, the first time you heard Animals. Um, Still the best album, instantly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, far and away. Um, like, it, or uh, for people who've dived a little bit deeper, like, the first time you heard Discipline or Universe Zero or um, certain Magma records. Um, just tremendous really really dark just 
richly psychedelic music. They have 10 members. Um, they do, it's not that all of them play all the time. They're really wise about fading in and out different people playing things. But as a result, when they want to have the full roar kick in, they have a lot of meat to do it because they have, you know, a psych doom band and then a psychedelic black metal band that they can both dial in. And as a result, those two components also balance each other really well, or you get the sort of rich atmospheres of doom metal, which are really built on those, like, you know, drones and harmonics and building that atmosphere, and then the intensity of the black metal stuff. But it points in just this, like, pitch black, freaked out prog rock direction. It's fucking great. Um, So far, this is my favorite album of the year. Like, I just... It's I'm I'm ecstatic over this. Sorry, microphone's off. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna play. There's one song available on Bandcamp right now. It's called Seeker's Reflection. They've also got uh, the Shamanic Vision and Infinite Gate opening, and we get it, guys. You do drugs. What do you do? It's just doing oh, things. It's a it's a concept album about uh, the three components of the Godhead uh, fusing into one. Because that shit prog rock. There's certainly some prog rock right there. Oh yeah, that's yeah, big uh, dank nug of prog rock. They these guys own yes albums. Yeah, own, not only that, to them on beanbags. They know they know the origins of uh, Tales from Topographic Oceans. And they not only know it, they bought a copy of uh, Autobiography of a Yogi, just so that way they could say, that's that's the book that inspired it. Well, footnotes from that book, rather. Not the book itself. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, um, get into your favorite beanbag chair, uh, smoke some dank nugs, and um, get ready for Seeker's Reflection by Waste of Space Orchestra.
I got it. If somebody wants to start a new political party, they should make it economically left and culturally right. That's the big unserved group in America right now. It's not a big group because it's nobody. That no one wants that. That appeals to literally nobody. So his like tweet came out kind of while I was reading this book. And I was thinking about, because there's quite a lengthy, I think a whole chapter on the right and um, anti-immigration and uh, welfare or benefits, whatever you want to call them in your particular country. So David Rankin kind of summarizes this as like a big part of anti-immigration uh, animus today is immigrants are going to come here and go on benefits and they're going to steal my benefits. Like obviously a lot of people are like, oh, we're going to have to raise taxes in order to uh, pay for all these immigrants here. But a lot of people are also like, especially the elderly people on pensions, they're all thinking, okay, I'm not going to have uh, my paltry benefits aren't going to stretch as far as another million people come in the country and taking them all. Like, and that has been like a kind of innovation on the right because you'd think the right are anti-benefits and anti um anti-welfare state in general and that the people who believe in uh conservative ideas are all against like, doll scroungers and welfare queens and so on but um you kind of and as david renton points out like uh support for people like donald trump or brexit or whatever has largely come from people who are a bit richer than supporting the opposite, Hillary Clinton or Remain. But um, there's still this, like, very um, kind of lumpen proletariat uh, right wing who know that they need to depend on benefits to survive, and therefore they can't share them with people who don't look like them. And David Renton kind of identifies that as a, a as a block that could of potential people for the far right to to grow their electoral base and to even grow their like street teams, well, not street teams because they're not you know, records and stuff, but um, yeah, to grow their presence on the streets and in the voting booths. And I was kind of thinking about that and UBI. Because that's kind of come up again. It's never really left in the last like five, ten years. Yeah, the uh, it's kind of come up a little bit more in prominence because of Andrew Yang, hashtag Yang Gang, and um, his idea that yeah, everyone gets a thousand dollars a month, no questions asked, and all these like ex MAGA chuds and like Pepe kind of guys have started making Yang memes. Because they want their thousand dollars a month so they can sit in their basements and play video games and they don't have to get real jobs or anything. And that kind of did like two things kind of got me thinking like UBI could potentially be this really toxic mixture of people depending on the state for their thousand dollars a month, even if they've got jobs or pensions or whatever. Like they could get like pre-radicalized by the wrong politicians into thinking well, I'm not going to share my thousand dollars a month with people from outside who are just coming here in order to get their share of thousand dollars a month. Uh, you know, this thousand dollars is for people who live it, who are real Americans or Britons or whatever. 
UBI in the wrong hands is like it's like political gasoline. Like whoever has it, if it's on the left or the right, then they get to really, really pump up their particular positions. Like it could be a really, really damaging thing to have if the right were the ones administering it. Do you this, know what I mean? Yeah, this is actually something that comes up in um uh I'm about to do a big take that to chuds who think philosophy is bad. Um this actually comes up in the realm of philosophy quite a bit, is uh this notion that though we may see it presented differently online, um these critical mechanics that we develop to solve the issues that our leftist ideology presents to us, uh, problems that we see in the world or identify only as problems because we are leftists, where if we were, say, like a racist, we wouldn't see them as a problem. Um, the critical mechanics don't have a political ideology. We sometimes think they do because we are leftists and are doing them, therefore they are leftist. But um, that's along the same lines of saying that a book... Uh, like a fiction book has a political ideology. And it's like, no, it is a collection of words that provokes a response from its reader. And if you read something and are disgusted by its premises, it has made you more against it. And so its actual effect in the world has been to promote the opposite of its words. Um, and we sometimes miss that mechanically because we get fixated very much on the ontology of things. Like, is it inherently blank? And we ignore um, the most useful lesson from kind of uh, from nihilist philosophy, which is that focusing on inherency is absolutely useless because that's not that only generates the actions that we do. The actions themselves don't have that kind of. Uh, they don't have that kind of identity, really. Um, that's where UBI addresses a lot of specific issues. It addresses um, uh, specifically in a socialist environment. It's absolutely necessary to create a post-work world. Um, likewise, for anyone with disabilities of any kind, uh, that's the only way to provide them the the means to, you know, buy food and pay for rent. Even if you're thinking in a post-rent world. Um, like socialist, uh, the ideal socialist state isn't necessarily devoid of money. It's that you wouldn't need money for food or a home or something. So money would be used for luxury items. Um, and so you'd still need money for that. Uh, but the thing is, like you were saying, merely giving someone a check doesn't have a political inflection to it. And we see a lot of people trying really hard to make it inherently no, this is politicized, but that's how we can see ultra right wing uh, elderly people collecting social security. And they don't. It's not that they're not putting together that social security was brought about by leftists. If anything, it's that sometimes leftists will fixate on it was brought about by a leftist. Ergo, it is leftist now. And it's like, no, it is social security. If anything, we fixate on the the ghosts of political ideology in the mechanics of the political world um, far too much to the point where we view things as either tainted or untainted by 
uh, or tainted or sanctified by proximity to a political ideology that doesn't actually engage with its mechanic whatsoever. And what you were getting at of if the right person hands you a check and says the conditions of this are that all Americans get it, but if too, if there are too many Americans, we either won't be able to give enough or we'll have to stop it. it you can engineer um, ethnically enforced immigration policy, uh, de, um, de-emigration? What's, what's that one? Ec- Ethnic cleansing? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I was saying more when you, like, ship people out of your country. Deportation policies, ethnic deportation policies. Um, you can also generate, like, uh, things like, uh, population control policies, uh, based on, like, well, we need to keep this down because we only have, um, it's also where you can get someone like, uh, I can't pronounce his name, but it's like Pete Buttigieg or something. The guy who's in the uh, Democratic no, primary that guy. Yeah. saying that he, as a leftist, he doesn't support a free college initiative because why should the majority subsidize something that only a minority use and that is part of the enforcement of the oppression of the non-college uh, graduate class? Mm-hmm. And people are like, well... Point? Yeah, right? It's like, well, one of the biggest things is that people can't go to a college, and you're right in a certain way, um, making free college uh, would promote that, but also it would drastically devalue the social capital assigned to a uh, college degree, because then it would be, it's something that anyone could literally just go do, which is the ideal point, because what should matter is the education, not the degree and people can get an education in practical environments. They can get it by going to a library or they can get it from going to a university. But he's again, it's that thing of we get wrapped up sometimes in uh, this is also like the thrust of that book, bad feminist um, from a couple years ago of we get wrapped up sometimes in how will this properly be, labeled and viewed ideologically rather than the mechanical effect. And it's ironically exactly the same trap that like centrists and liberals place on, uh, uh, place on leftists where they're like, well, that's not very, uh, blank. You can't just silent fasci- silence fascists. And you're like, yeah, but mechanically, um, a rise in hate speech doesn't mean everyone who uses that hate speech is going to commit a physically violent act, but a percentage of them are. And so when you increase the number of people using that kind of language, you by nature are increasing the, the, the amount of them that are going to do something violent because of it. Hmm. And they're well, like, no, yeah, but no. I don't like mechanical arguments. I like only ideological arguments. Hmm. That kind of brings us on to, uh, Renton's conclusion for the book, where he talks about concrete measures, kind of concrete, concrete concrete-ish, measures to stop the right. And I want to kind of go through them in in turn because they're they're kind of interesting. I I don't think uh, Mr. Renton is a socialist or of the, like, Marxist left. I think he's... I I don't want to call him a liberal because that has a lot of... uh, a lot of derogatory 
terms when certain people like me say it. But um, I don't think he's got... This isn't, This book doesn't have a Marxist analysis to it. Like the the idea we spoke about earlier that, that um, fascism is capital's uh, vanguard. It's the like iron heel that sometimes capital has to put down just to keep it in check. That doesn't really come up in this book. So I want to think about his ideas kind of in those terms about what needs to be done. Because his first idea about how to stop the, the right, how to stop the converge, convergence of the far right and regular conservatives in power, is the left needs to expose the new right as racists. And we've been doing that for a damn long time. You know, it's still plugging away at making people know that the right are racists. I mean, we have that quote from Donald Trump just recently that when referring to people seeking political asylum from Central and South America, uh, Central and South America, saying these aren't people, these are animals. Yeah, like we don't need to. Yeah, we don't need to call that any more racist than it is. It's as racist as you can get, like literally dehumanizing a whole group of people. That's, you know, that's you don't. And yet. He, something that Renton doesn't kind of account for is, uh, which is that racism and fascism are fun to people. Like there's a good chunk of the population who find this stuff really funny and who enjoy it. And and it's not just like 4chan kids. It's like, you know, you, you cab driver or just people just in regular everyday lives. Like, my dad says racist shit in order to get a rise out of me sometimes because he finds it funny. Yeah, and like trying to explain sometimes even to uh, even to other people on the left that having been that edgelord teen at one point, that a lot of these people are not acting ideologically when they say it. But that doesn't mean that they're not responsible for the uh, sparking, like, yeah, I actually kind of agree with this, moment in people that they're saying that racist shit or that misogynistic shit too but it presents a difficult mechanical problem because we we run into that a lot in effective political organizing of if you if you start going if you do this you are now a racist you are now a sexist even though we see that as true they'll respond with yeah but i don't really think it i just you know i'm trying to you know cheesy off and, you know, it's working and that's funny to me. Like, we require a different mechanic. I mean, that, that's why I tend to prefer the one that is like, that is racist or that is sexist. Exactly. Although, yeah. um, but even that sometimes doesn't work because they're well aware that it's racist, like in amount of the time. And they're just doing it to, I mean, this is ironically the same problem that we see in metal where we can't, you really can't have a space that uh, prides itself on extreme behavior and extreme art without going at some point. We can ideologically be opposed to it, but Nazism is extreme. Um, it's not the good kind. It's not the cathartic kind. It's not the acceptable kind. But when you make a space for extreme work, uh, that that is at some point going to knock at the door. Yeah. Like like I was saying earlier, my, my fascination with figures like Julius Evola or even like Hitler, 
Like, I have so many books about Adolf Hitler's life on my shelves right now. And, um, yeah, that that kind of came out of being a edgy metal teen who liked, like, uh, playing Cannibal Corpse songs in the school common room where everyone could hear them because to just get a reaction out of people. And, yeah, when you make those spaces, you're going to get a certain percentage of people who connect with it in the wrong way. And, yeah, they still enjoy it, but they're enjoying it for itself, not for the ironic things, which is kind of why you have to, like, recently people have to be a bit more on guard about the ironic stuff, which we couldn't do earlier, like in the 90s or early 2000s, when it was acceptable to be uh, a little bit racist, a little bit extreme, put a swastika on something, you know? Like, Sid Vicious wearing a swastika is a very different from if a person today put a swastika on their t-shirt. Like, I'm not going to cancel Sid Vicious for wearing a swastika. I cancel him for murdering someone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was being a dumb fucking edgelord with that bullshit. And, yeah, it just had that long tail effect. And we can... This is also where sometimes we get, um, I think, improper political responses from other people on the left of agreeing we should check this person, but a disagreement on I don't think we need to check them as harshly as that. Because, one, I don't think that will be effective, which is the most important part. Because... The brownie points you get for checking someone who's doing something wrong don't fucking matter if they don't stop. Like, mm-hmm. at that point, you did it for yourself. Um, and the other bit of... If we can recognize you're doing this to get a rise out of someone, and I see what you're doing, but also fucking stop. Um, that can work better than... Yes, yeah, so some of the stuff that makes left it seem really silly and petulant of like uh david bowie threw a fat uh nazi salute one time so he's always a nazi or like uh lemmy collected nazi stuff so so he is a nazi and it's like if we pretend that none of us understand the sick fascination with as something as fucked up as as you know Hitler and like the weird esoteric Hitlerism and all that kind of bullshit. If we act like somehow it's totally illegible, why anyone would find that darkly fascinating. I like, I don't know how to engage with that kind of person. We can, we can declare it unacceptable and that's totally fine. But if you're going to be like, it's like people, it reminds me of people who don't seem to get that the, uh, the structural element of horror is that the thing presented is bad. Hmm. It's supposed to be horrific. It's supposed to invoke and it's supposed to create horror in you. That's what defines it as horror. And if you aren't horrified, it's not working. Yeah. Um, well, the people who don't realize uh, Humbert Humbert in Lolita is not meant to be the hero. I literally it's, don't believe those people exist. I can't they, imagine. They still do. They all, have always existed and I always will. I can't wrap my it's, brain around yeah. that. <laughs> I think they just read the back of the book. I think that's that's. I think I, there shouldn't be a way you can read that book and come out thinking, "Well, Vladimir Nabokov sure picked the wrong guy for, to be his protagonist." Yeah, we see we see that a lot with the like protagonist-driven morality um, from people who are effectively illiterate because they can't 
they don't possess the capability somehow of reading a book and going, how does this book want to make me feel? Instead, they go, those are the words on the page. The words are how it wants me to feel. And it's like, art is more subtle than that. You, you fucking idiot. Like, you, you tremendously illiterate buffoon. <laughs> Was it, um, H.L. Mencken, um, quote about how there's already been, uh, there's always been the same number of literate and illiterate people. It's just nowadays the illiterates can read. I think that's, comes in here. So, yeah. So next point in stopping the right. Um, I'm going to skip the second one because I think it, it kind of sounded the same as the first one. But um, fascism is a minority position within today's far right. And I think, yeah, I think can, can, we can all agree that that's been the case in Europe since World War Two. It's been always been the case in Britain and America. Um, yeah, I think that's that's obviously empirically true. It's just that kind of what i said earlier about frankenstein like the the far right the extreme right the fascists are the avant-garde they're they're like the weird hip-hop producers who are doing this like crazy shit and then five years from now you'll hear it on a flow rider record or they're the you know they were like yeah voivod compared to corn there's there's always an avant-garde in every in literally everything and a certain percentage of what the avant-garde makes ends up in the mainstream. That's why we call stuff experimental. Like, people often think experimental means weird and out there. But we should remember that people do experiments in order to make stuff. Like, all the stuff we're using started as someone's experiment once, and now it's made uh, mouse pads and laptops. That was an experiment once. And, yeah, as in literally everything in the world a weird percentage of, of creative people make stuff, then it goes into the mainstream. That's why we had, like, books like, uh, what the fuck was it called? The Gary Steingart book was talking about Pepe the Frog. Like, that was a... Uh, yeah. Uh, I keep to my, forgetting um, that we read that because I fucking hated, I hated that book so much. <laughs> yeah. That was a terrible book. Plug to my article in Commune Magazine, issue two. Uh, people have been loving it. It's a good um, article. Thank you. And um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's like Pepe the Frog is a character in a indie comic that got picked up by weird people on a very odd website. And now it's been talked about by these like multi-million book selling authors. And it's been literally talked about by Hillary Clinton. Like someone who could have been, who was at one time one of the most powerful beings in the world, and um, yeah, that's that's why fascism being a minority position isn't that much of a, isn't such so soothing. Yeah, obviously it's worse if they are like in the government and building death camps, but like we've seen that ideas from the extreme right come over to regular stuff like Venezuela. Like, why is, yeah. does Venezuela suddenly become everyone's topic? It's because, like, for years it was the, oh, you're a socialist? Well, why don't you live in Venezuela thing on, the on like, far-right internet debate me kids. And now there's, like, and that has filtered over into actual U.S. foreign policy. 
Like that's where the whole Venezuela thing comes from. And it's why this converged uh, right we've got at the moment in power in America has suddenly fixated on Venezuela. And yeah, so yeah, I'm not convinced that it's, a, it's good that fascism is a minority position because it's just going to infect the majority. Yeah, I mean, it's it reminds me of uh, discussions we've had about um, models to envision, uh, like, say, uh, the world of art to pick a microcosm and then to expand this out in a second, where we can think of it sometimes very atomically of a bunch of individual objects working together, and those objects can be larger or smaller in terms of their influence. But eventually we wind up modeling because of that uh, an ecosystem and we have species of uh, sufficient like social power within this ecosystem, but it can be deceptive. Like we have Beyonce embracing uh, avant-garde tendencies because her sister Solange is very much tapped into the independent and underground music world. And being Beyonce's sister has a direct line to her ear and it's like, hey, check this out. This is wild. You should work with Jack White. Um, stuff that you never would have expected uh, during Destiny Child's heyday that, you know, the key member is going to cut a single with Jack White and make him tolerable in the 2010s. Uh, that was that was an insane level of virtuosity, Beyonce. We appreciate that. Um, but likewise, we can uh, it works the same in the political space is that. This is where, like, if we're being realistic, the notion of a mass collection of Marxists or even anarchists doesn't uh, – I, I get yelled at sometimes by leftists. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I would love it to happen, but I don't realistically see it occurring. And so our role then becomes different. If we are an object in the ecosystem, uh, then how do you ex- – how do you expand the influence of this relatively small or rare species within the broader ecosystem? Yeah. And the count already happened with like AOC. Yeah. She's, she came out of an ecosystem that included like Chapa Trap House and And, places like that. And we, and um, Bernie would have won. And yeah, she comes out of that lineage. She's like, and we include dirtbag left. If we, if we, if we include this kind of stuff, uh, then fascism doesn't need to be even a plurality, uh, let alone a majority. All it needs to do is spread its poison. This is also why we wind up seeing, ironically, the the strange the strange uh, battles that we see politically. Um, figures in power don't fight these marginal figures. They don't really care about them because you're swinging at other. Uh, big ticket figures. Um, but it, it reminds me a bit of sometimes we as leftists will get obsessed with like Nazis in their basement because they do have influence, like not, not to uh, say that they don't, but then we'll ignore like uh, bills going on locally um, mm-hmm. or uh, the mundane, but much more tragic uh, like, mainstream political actions now granted people can care about more than one thing at a time so there are plenty of people who actually just care about both 
Um, I don't mean to say that like that that doesn't exist. Um, but yeah, if they to get back to the ecosystem point, they don't need to be numerous. Like this guy's point doesn't need to be uh, wrong for it to still be very alarming. Um, because how many people promoting straight up ethnic cleansing does it need? Do there need to be for you to be like this sucks? Because the answer is one. <laughs> like, yeah. If one guy rolls up into your party and is like, "All Jews should be killed," that's all I'm saying. You know, all of a sudden your party sucks. It, it's it's a shitty party now. You have a racist in the party. <laughs> yeah, not that it matters anymore, but you know. Um. So, yeah, his next one kind of plays into that idea, which is his next point is we need to break the alliance between the center and far right. Um, which is kind of at first strikes me as one of those like we need to engage the moderate Republicans, which doesn't work and never will. And it's a terrible idea. But um, he says uh, one effective place to challenge right is by exposing the alliance between parliamentary and street politics. So, you know, showing how I don't know some politician met with uh, I don't know, Tommy Robinson or you know, some there's lots of. Uh, points of like meetings between someone like some weird fringe figure and a actual senator or MP or whatever. So, yeah, and those have been exposed and publicized and nothing has happened. I, I don't, can't think of any points where like someone has resigned because they took a meeting with some member of like some tiny little street fighting club. And you've even got, like, uh, what's his name, Roger Stone, um, hanging around with the Proud Boys, using them as personal security. Uh, Alex Jones using the bikers for Trump as his, like, little personal security. You know, it, it's not... And Alex Jones is a, is a mainstream conservative figure at this point. So, again, I, I, I can see how, like, this could be valuable for people who are in the old way of thinking where a, a person could do so many terrible things that they have to quit their job as a politician, but that doesn't happen anymore. Like, like there are plenty of politicians who straight up uh, talk about white genocide and great replacement stuff. Yeah. It has no political consequence for them anymore. And um, yeah, the, you just pick one random Republican and you'll find a picture of them with Mike Cernovich or Lauren Southern. It's like just what they do. It's that's a constituency that they can play to. So of course they take meetings with these people and go to their uh, events. So I yeah, I and and plus the the street fighting proud boys part of things is I mean it's obviously a bad thing, but all the proud boys and traditionalist worker parties and all of those people and even like real weirdos like Atom Waffen, Satanist black metal neo-Nazi underground Al Qaeda loving weirdos, uh, yeah, they, all of them put together haven't killed as many people as that that one guy in Christchurch. Yeah, like Atom Waffen had killed five people, and some of those were in like personal disagreements. They weren't like targeted mass shootings or assassinations or bombings. Um, some. Some of Atom often have just killed each other over disagreements about Satanism. Real galaxy brain stuff there. So one of the things that 
David Renton doesn't talk about at all is the stochastic terrorism aspect of the far right and even like mainstream conservatism. Like one of the reasons the Republican Party and the Conservative Party don't have a street fighting wing like the SA and the Nazi Party is because a because it'd be it'd be bad for a while, but nowadays they don't need it because they've got weirdos who are going to go around and kill people and murder their political enemies. Like that guy, um, he was arrested a few weeks ago. He was a Coast Guard officer. He had a giant arsenal of, of guns and a big list of Alexandria Cortez and Ilan Omar. And I think Bill Mayer was on the list for some reason, even though he's an actual conservative. And he was going to go around and just murder all of Donald Trump's political enemies. And he didn't need like to be part of an organized group. He just uh, was online a lot, watching a lot of YouTube videos and Googling like who are, he literally Googled who are Donald Trump's enemies and decided to make that his hit list. He, he didn't need a, like to be part of something for that. He didn't need like the essay. Um, yeah, there's, so like the, the idea that fascism is on the decline because there aren't these like street fighting groups going around smashing windows anymore isn't that much of a um yeah, it's not very soothing when like literally anyone can get a gun and kill 50 people in order to advance the agenda of donald trump like the christchurch thing advanced the far right's agenda that was like that did that accomplished a goal for them which is to turn up the heat on everybody so everyone gets a everyone turns on each other and then the right win but it's the same tactic that al-qaeda have of like um carrying out an attack conservatives uh victimize muslims muslims decide fuck it i'm i don't want to live in the west anymore i'm going to join al-qaeda therefore they get bigger and eventually they win you know there's the kind of old school thing doesn't recount anymore it's all very postmodern now it's all atomized and through memes and um even people like ben shapiro who is incredibly moderate compared to some of his like uh people he's around he's had that um massacre in uh, quebec to his name like he, he's got bodies on him now so yeah i, I I don't think a breaking alliance between the centre and far right in this kind of world is going to really be effective because there's just too... Um, yeah, there's just... It's just too diffuse. There's no... There doesn't need to be the street fighting anymore. So, yeah. So I think that one, we can also strike off the list of good ideas. And... Uh, Renton's last idea, because the right is repeatedly violent, the left must defend itself. I'm going to say, that's a good one. We should uh, punch more Nazis, because as David Renton points out, the you remember the the punching Richard Spencer video? That was so good as both entertainment and a political action. That was like one of the best, one of the things that's meant that the alt right is now in decline. And Richard Spencer, in particular, is on his way out as a figure. Like that one little video, like five seconds long, and set to X gonna give it to you. 
that was so such great propaganda and um yeah and yeah fighting them and winning really seems to work and uh it it especially worked well <laughs> when promoting when we really nailed down ideologically when talking to like liberals and things that we weren't hitting the kind of mouthy racist uncle we weren't punching the run of the mill conservative guy even though we deeply disagree with their views and sort of know empirically that their views led to say 1 million Iraqi casualties to just pick one demographic that was severely injured, that this isn't even the kind of thing that we're throwing hands over, even though we justifiably could. It's specifically people calling for, like, ethnic cleansings. And it's yeah, like, no, this isn't... Targets. We're not going to throw hands because we're like, I disagree with you politically. It's if you're a fucking Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, like, idea really needs to go out there. Like, that needs to... Like, no one's going to punch you because you've got a MAGA hat on, although they very well could and should. You're going to get punched for wearing a swastika. Like that one guy who walked down the street with a swastika on and just got laid out by one guy's left hook. Yeah. Cause Again, like very funny video. Because, like, you know, I have a lot of issues with America. I have a lot of issues with uh, our military, but uh, I even have a lot of our issues with us, uh, a lot of issues with the way that we specifically handled World War II. But, uh, my uh, my grandpa didn't chase Rommel across uh, the sands of North Africa in a bomber uh, for Nazis to just walk around. Fuck that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's one of the few times I get proper patriotic. Uh, my granddad was also a bomber pilot. And uh, he didn't um, obliterate uh, Dresden and give rise to a very good book about it. Uh, just, you know, to, to have Richard Spencer go on TV and talk about his Pepe pin. Yeah. Uh, and so David Renton's last point, we need the electoral left to provide an alternative. Um, be nice if we had a very much bigger electoral left. You know, it can't just be Bernie Sanders, Il- Ilan Omar, AOC, and Dave- Jeremy Corbyn. Like, four, four dudes, not enough. We need a lot more. Um, but kind of, yeah. Kind of, we need to start doing what the, we need. To, we need some our own convergence, and we're seeing that because you know Jeremy Corbyn, yeah, he's he's a democratic socialist, so he doesn't have the exact same ideas I do, but um, he's a lot better than the alternative, and he's a good stepping stone on the way to my ideas, which I know is electoralism and is supposed to be an awesome revolution where we all get to be heroes, but um, unfortunately, it's, you know, life tends to be a little boring that way. Yeah, sometimes when people get hung up on that shit, I want to be like, "Do you live in the real world?" Because I would yeah. fucking, I would fucking love a socialist revolution. But I mean, like, do you live in the real world? Also, do you know how many fucking guns they have? Do you know how many fucking like more than people? And yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to give a shout out to a very good uh, other podcast. And I don't normally shout out podcasts made by like these big podcasting companies, but there's one called It Can Happen Here by a guy named Robert Evans. And it talks about the possibility of civil war in America. And, um, yeah, you guys are fucked. Yeah. That's why I'm like. So fucked. When I hear some mouthy leftists be like, nah, we need guns to fight the government. You're like, you sound like a fucking libertarian. They have bombs. You're stupid. Like, like what also, are you going to do against a predator round? drone or Abrams tank? Like, all that's going to happen is that someone's going to be like, revolution. Then it's going to be another fucking move bombing. Like. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, I hate to be pitch black and utterly hopeless, but, like, get fucking real. I don't want brown people to get blown up by the government, and that means you need to step off this whole fucking shit-ass stupid quest to be, like, Mm. the big big dick hero. Yeah. Plus, literally not... Even if all the... Even if somehow you got all the people who are vaguely socialist together, it's still a tiny, tiny percentage of the American population. It's and there's a lot of like and and the right really as much as the left talks about it on the left talking about revolution is like a pre minor thing you get on some tankies online, but on the right it's just everywhere. It's like Fox News talks about how one day they're gonna kill everyone who disagrees with them. Like you don't see M- MSNBC talking about how you know, they've got to stock up on guns because one day the revolution's gonna come. You see that on like uh, Vape Lenin sixty nine's Twitter. He's got like four followers. But uh, so yeah, and enough of that. We're, that's it's not going to happen. Just it'd be, I'm sure it'd be lovely, but you know, you're just going to get your asses handed to you by some like four hundred pound guy on a rascal scooter who's like literally spent all his time and money from his uh, jet ski dealership buying. AR-15s with bump stocks and giant scopes. And he's going to, like, 360 no-scope you. And it's, yeah, it's just going to be over in two seconds before you can even, like, load your, like, old-style AK. So don't, don't even don't quit that shit, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you look like a goddamn goon, and then you're gonna get a lot of brown people just absolutely annihilated because it's like, nah, but I'm cool. Yeah. Revolution, mm, man. Neo. But, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we gotta, we gotta do the whole ballot box thing. I know. I don't like it any more than anyone else does, but, um, yeah. I think like... pe- people need to wrap their heads around the fact that reality is really shitty and sucks a lot. And, uh, then it's we not die. Fun. Yeah, you, you don't get to have fun or do awesome stuff. Nothing is you cool. Got, yeah, you just gotta, like, knock on some doors. Like, half the people are gonna tell you to fuck off because you're a libtard. And the other half, probably gonna nod politely. And a tiny little percentage of that, maybe, maybe we'll pick up a pamphlet from you. At, at, at some point, and this sucks, but you have to talk to racist people. And yeah, that that's sucks. the really sucky part. That's the part that sucks the most. But it's like, you know, we, we don't numerically have enough non-racist people, and they're not going to just become non-racist on their own. That's not – if they could do that, they would have already. So uh, – <laughs> Yeah, and, and if you, like, gain power somehow and try and enact stuff to, to stop racism, the racist people just get madder and madder, and they end up blowing stuff up. And killing people, and unfortunately, at some point, we've got to talk to all the racists individually, even though there's like millions of them, and somehow get an, a critical mass of them to just knock it off. At, at least just shut up about it. You know, they can believe what they want, but you know, just just knock it off doing things, doing racist stuff. And yeah, it sucks. It's going to be slow, and lots of people are going to die along the way. And yeah, sorry guys just sucks so that's uh, David Renton's uh, The New Authoritarians 
Uh, oh, he, he actually does have one last one, which is the left needs to do better than it, than it has at challenging all forms of oppression, which we don't even need to do the whole anti-id poll bit here, okay? Like, we know class stuff is important. Anti-racism, anti-homophobia, anti-sexism, also important. There is, I, I know the left is a tiny major, minority, but there is still enough of us to do work on all of those things without feeling like we're neglecting something. And yeah. there is, you know, just spend less time posting and do stuff and you'll be able to cover quite a lot of bases and you won't feel like you're letting your class brothers down. Even even so, just like if you have a job, talk to one coworker in like not ranty terms, but like here's where I came at what I think and why I feel the way that I do. Don't rant at them. Don't do it. Do not rant at them. Do not rant at them. <laughs> oh yeah, they hate that. They really hate it when we rant at them. Yeah, or just like make a joke about uh, Joe Rogan. Laugh at Joe Rogan or. David, uh, what's his name? Ricky Gervais. Like, laugh, laugh at those guys. Or say that uh, uh, Reese Mogg looks like a necrophiliac. Because he does. And everyone will have a laugh at how much he looks like a necrophiliac. He does and look like he'd fuck a corpse. Yeah. He looks like he has an arrangement with the funeral director. So, yeah, have a, have a laugh at that. And it, and it just makes a little crack in, in the conservative armour. And soon they'll start laughing at him more, and then the, and one day they'll laugh at his ideas. And that's what you, that's when you've got them. Also, if you have a job, and we know our listeners, ninety nine percent of you don't. You mostly game in, and that's legitimate. That's, that's you are valid. You are valid. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe mention unions. Don't mention. Don't like be like, we're going to unionize this uh, subway. Yeah, just just say like, damn, we we could do with a union for this. Am I right, folks? Anyway, I saw something cool on TV last night. Just uh, you know, just put the whole union thing out there in people's heads, and then get fired because you just mention the word union, and then the, your boss will freak out and piss themselves and shit and come. So um, yeah, I I would stop short of straight up recommending this book. Um, just because I think a lot of people will know most of it, and the stuff that I haven't didn't know from this was like the Italian and French stuff, and it's not massively important to my life, but um, you know, it's it's nice to know. It was nice to find out how Brexit, like the prehistory of Brexit in the eighties and nineties, that was interesting stuff. But um, yeah, it's but. Dave Renton is a is a smart guy, and he's obviously done his homework on this. And it, it, it's a grown up book about fascism, unlike yeah. you know a certain book I could mention by a certain person who's deleted their account very wisely, and um, by a certain publisher that uh, you know maybe has a few uh, bad ideas, even though they are nominally um, on on our side. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, may rhyme with spill all bormies. Those aren't words, but um, yeah, it, it's a it's a smart grown up book about fascism. You can put that on the cover. I think yeah. that's best way to sum it up. Even when I was disagreeing with it, it felt like I was talking with an adult 
who follows things and has some vetting to the things that they were saying. So at least there was something to engage with rather than like, oh, you're just stupid. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of want to be a fascist because it's funny, uh, but it's just all your friends are leftists. So you're not. But uh, yeah, one day we're going to do our caller episode on a, a certain publisher, but not today. Not today. Not yet. Not ready. Yeah. Got to work up to that stuff. But we will play out for this episode with uh, a band I just stumbled across. I think I got to credit uh, Shane Mathis, I think, uh, from Full Metal Hipster for putting me onto this band. Uh, Full Metal Hipster, if you're not listening to it, is it's just like six songs with a bit of talking in between. But dude is like incredible at like picking new great bands you you hear your new favorite band on full metal hipster and um yeah so do check that out Uh, but it's a band called spiteful urinator from hamilton new zealand uh there's several idiots from some shit bands past and present um and they're kind of like a blackened d-beat thing uh they got an album called Acid Earth. Most songs are under a minute. This is the only one that's like kind of a normal song length. And it's actually just two songs jammed together with a bit of music in between. It's called Bastards Among Us slash Non-Transferable Scenario. And yeah, it's pretty much straight up blackened D-beat. So if you are into that kind of thing, you'll be into this. They're not you know, breaking any rules here. If you like meth christ real band didn't make that up uh then you'll yeah probably be into this so have a little listen to this and yeah do do pick up um from pluto books the new authoritarians because yeah like you said it's a a good grown-up book you'll be you'll be smarter for having read this and come back next week because we're gonna do what are we doing next week we're doing Machines Like Me by Ian McEwen. Yeah. How am I going to read this book? You can't, because the publishers didn't send a digital copy for me to send you. So, um, yeah, you're not going to read this. I'm going to read this. You can you can read something else, like or, or watch something else, or listen to something else, and you can talk about that. Okay. But um, I'm going to talk about, yeah, this uh, new Ian McEwen book by... Uh, the, the uh, leading light of American, uh, British um, literary fiction for boring grown-ups. Does that, does anyone uh, get really scared about nine eleven happening again in it? Uh, it? It's set in the eighties, so fifty-fifty chance that that happens. Yeah, they could have. They could just uh, get uh, a horrible uh, premonition of nine eleven. They probably will. They'll probably. Oh, I, I bet it's like they'll see. They'll go into a part of London they don't normally go into, and they'll see brown people and think about what could happen. I mean, it will be like basically great replacement stuff, but it's it's okay because this guy's uh, rich and well spoken. I mean, to be fair, it is set in Britain in the eighties, so the likelihood, and it's written by a conservative, so the likelihood that the main character is scared of brown people, uh, specifically Muslims, is quite high. Oh yeah. Yeah, but there's also robots in it, so we get to see what this person who 
probably has never read a sci-fi novel and definitely hasn't read any good sci-fi novels uh, can do with science fictional premise. Yeah, we get to see what, what a guy, like ideas that were dealt with in science fiction in the 60s by much smarter people on a lot more interesting drugs, a.k.a. Philip K. Dick. Uh, what, what someone who has no real connection to that world can do with this stuff. And I know sometimes literary fiction people write great, great genre pieces, a.k.a., you know, Marlon James and lots of people, actually. But um, I don't think Ian McEwan's going to be one of these guys who's like, wow, I didn't know he was a science fiction fan all along. He could actually write a really great science fiction story. So, yeah, we, we're going to have that one. That's going to be one we'll, we'll do. And we got a bunch more stuff. And you can go on our Patreon, Patreon forward slash Death Sentence. And you can become our war brother. You can bleed with us. You can fight alongside us in Valhalla, in the northern wastes. Raise we, your axe we, high, war brother. Yeah. Our anime swords will be uh, slaked in the blood of our enemies. And, um, yeah, here's Spiteful Urinator.